Give her. All right. So I was, you were talking about versatility in the face of chaos and uncertainty, ambiguity. All these are pretty much terms for the same thing, the unknown. Um, in a social sense, um, you have uncertainty. How are people going to act? How are people going to treat you? What What's going to happen? You know, and people allay this with, you know, schedules. We're going to do this and then we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. Now, for a conference, that makes sense because you want everyone there at a certain time. You don't want the chaos of movement. But for us, for a, uh, when I go to Jasper to hang out in the mountains, I want that 0% of the time. <laughs> I want to encounter chaos as much as possible in the form of what are we going to eat tonight? I don't know. Let's pick a restaurant. So we walk around not knowing what we want until we go, oh, this one, let's eat that. And then, you know, you enjoy the chaos. You embrace that versatility. But a lot of the time people are afraid of, well, that. But oh, um, especially that if you ever travel with somebody who's got like every minute planned out, it <laughs> drives me insane. No, I, I, um, one of my friends is, uh, she is even that the opposite of that more than me she'll decide to where to go and then just go and then do it and then it's just like even i aspire to be that chaotic <laughs> uh, but um to a lot of times what you want is everyone sees um now the best thing i can think about and we all understand that one but one of the things that I notice is that when I no, okay, another analogy here. So bear with me. When I go to the range, you take, you load your magazine and you're in your stall. This is a place of massive safety. You can't not be safe. Uh, you can't not be safe. Double negative time. That's how safe you need to be at the range. <laughs> using double negatives, cats and dogs sleeping with each other. No, just kidding. Well, you're not not using them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's not tie this into knots. So <laughs> let's get that Gordian knot cut and Jesus. Time for another punology. Oh, geez, I'm <laughs> sorry, guys. But what happens is you, you load your magazines, you have your your the you have the um action open so you can see that there's nothing in in the uh in no bullets in the action. So you you have a safe piece of metal. It's safe. There's nothing unsafe about an unloaded gun especially when you can look and see that it's safe. You can look down the barrel. You know, a lot of people don't like that because, you know, there's that that feeling. That's the feeling you got to pay attention to. Now, what happens is your first couple, your first magazine of bullets is going to be it's not going to it's not going to be good every single time. No matter how strong, tough, hardened you are, the first magazine is always going to be uh like the first 10 rounds are always going to be bad. You're, you're not going to hit your target. A lot of it's because, you know, you want to get that grip right, but that's why you're training to, you know, hold the gun and make it so that it's, um, you're not using it improperly, so that you're not using it um, with any ambiguity. You know exactly what you're doing. You want to be as, dire, as um, deliberate as you can be with that tool. And so, what happens is the reason why you can't do first magazine is because it's the chaos of that, that thunderclap, that pack, pack, pack. And no matter what happens, 
um, everything over a 22 will scare you silly. You'll go, bleh, bleh, and you'll jump, and you'll be like, bleh. and yeah, you know, knowing it's coming and everything, it'll still shock you. It doesn't help. It's like waiting for the needle to go in your arm. We all know this now because we're all vaccinated. And it's just like, oh, this is going to pinprick. It's like, it's not the needle that hurts you. It's the anticipation. Mm-hmm. But it's um, that crack that the first crack that's why i like going when it's busy because there's a bunch of guys firing 44 magnums like on the other side of the range going (laughs) and so i've already got that shock out of my system and it's that shock that we're all worried about that but the thing that we realize at the range is that once you're once you just blast five rounds off and get used to the explosion your body is like oh i can pay attention to safety now I don't have to be worried about this. I can be deliberate. I don't have to be acting um, instinctively, you know, flight, time to go, there's explosion, because that is what everybody wants to do. Um, You have this sharp crack, which is anathema to every, you know, ingrained procedure and subroutine we have inside of our bodies and tells us to go and run. And that's why a lot of people don't like guns. And I completely understand that. You know, you don't have to like guns, obviously. Um, But what is happening is that fight or flight, but you can, through exposure, take control out of that instinctual get the heck out of there response. And you can do, um, even if someone comes in, you know, you're shooting nine millimeters, someone comes in with like some, you know, nuts to your ears round and starts blasting away with a 50 caliber right next to you and you're just like ow 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 in your ears even though you're wearing ear pro and it's still sending shocks to you you can still train yourself to put the rounds exactly where you want to go and that is something that i think is useful in all life and is a lot of what we're talking about because you have this chaotic moment this thing that snaps into your life randomly um and it could be something like a gunshot, you know, that happens. There are guns, people that shouldn't own guns in society. And you hear one and you're like, what do I do? Well, if you've gotten used to it. Now, the same thing happens in society where, you know, a tree falls through your house. It's a black swan event. What do you do? Crack. Chaos is in your house. What do you do? Um, getting used to it helps. Now, having a stressful youth, I got used to this really quick. And when my car was subject to arson i was way too calm (laughs) um and so this is i think one of the ways to encounter and tune yourself to deal with safety is to uh do this and we do this like i i shoot but a lot of people climb you know people climb at in the winter in the uh going and cliff sides that could fall apart at any moment, you know, skiing on the top of mountains kind of thing, oh, especially skiing. Um, one thing I can't get over, and this is a thing that I want to exact it to show is that you don't have to get good at every situation. This kind of goes back because I can't do spelunking. No, 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 no. I am. Uh, that's my, that's my room one one thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, damn, I shouldn't have told anybody that, um, you can't do what? uh spelunking so under you know crawling underground kind of stuff i'm claustrophobic oh, yeah. so like anytime in the movies where they're like we got to climb underneath this thing and there's like a mountain here and like the underground here and you're just like nope 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 
no, that's never, I'm never going to get like, I, I can be as safe as I want, but my body will never tell me I can't, I might be able to get over it, but I'll still have that nagging thing. Um, I seem to have gotten over spiders. I still, they kind of give me a heebie jeebies and I don't want them crawling around my hands, but I can look at them and just be like, that's gross, which is neat, but I'll still never get rid of that reaction. But the thing is, is that that is unconscious and that doesn't, you know, getting an F on a paper isn't the same as being stuck in a straitjacket underground for me. Like there's- Or diving from a tall uh, diving board or something like that. Right. So it's all situational, and this is why I'm, I am leading up to a point. When you fire a rifle, you know you're in control. And once you get used to that control, you can be safer and safer and safer and safer as you hone your skills towards uh, using that firearm. And yeah, you want to do that every time you use even a new firearm. It's just like, how does the safety of this thing work? You want to focus on it because the risks of that object, um, while it's loaded, are well you that there's a there's 10 black swan events in that pistol ready to go (laughs) so you want to be able to avoid it and you can avoid it um by learning the safety procedures and following the four uh firearm uh safety rules that everyone should know but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go you know mountain climbing i don't know the safety procedures for mountain climbing i took a two-hour course and i learned this the same types the you know the rules for mountain climbing you know always have your this or that you know never do that always double check you know always bring rope have spare food something to light a fire all that yeah redundancies well it's just yeah even for hiking i say if you don't have a like have a have have a lighter on you have a lighter and matches have a backup source have a pump uh, have backup uh, water sources, um, good boots, and a knife. Yeah, like, the knife. What about sunscreen? Huge. It's like you like a knife is one of the most knife, compass, and map, and good boots. You can go far. And so, what knowing makes things safe, and knowledge makes things safe. But the thing that I'm going to lean into is that a lot of this relies on the individual knowing. I am, the people at the range trust me to be safe at the range because they've seen me, they know, just, they get bored trying, you know, with the CFO, not the CFO, the um, the range officer always gets bored watching me because I'm just sitting there being safe because I know how to be safe. So they always go and do something else. Um, and they realize that I'm this, but on a national level, I need to be, uh, I need to be accredited. I needed to run through a ton of hoops. It was annoying. I understand some of them. Others are why <laughs> honestly, 10 round magazine limit doesn't make any sense when the first bullet could do it. Yeah. So like that doesn't actually create any more safety, but that's not the point. The point is, is that an individual should be if they can demonstrate enough knowledge to do the thing, they should be able to be left alone to do it. And this is kind of where I come down back to China, is that if you've become used to it and you know what you're doing and you've made your own calculation as to whether or not it's safe, having a rational mind, why do we need to, uh, why do we need to be, uh, 
why do we need others to tell us what's safe and what's not? And a lot of this comes down to, you know, soccer moms saying that uh, we need this or that regulation in order to create more safety because it'll make them feel more safe sitting in their house. Even though they know well, kids need to have this. Well, do you have kids? Well, no, but kids need this. Well, then why do you care? Um, well, they wear helmets, but they also need knee pads while they have this. Or cyclists should be not cycling on the road. They should be on the sidewalk, not actually thinking that that might actually create more damage to pedestrians getting hit by bikes. Uh, whereas most cyclists will know, even though some cyclists are jerks about it, most cyclists will know how to stay safe on the road. Like there were just things I could trust on the road. Like I never was really afraid of getting hit by people uh, cycling on the road, unless I was doing something stupid, like, you know, going out too far in the middle of the lane or potholes. Potholes were, you know, if there's anything that can help bike safety, it's not having to go into the middle of the road to avoid a pothole or hitting a pothole, having and falling off of my bike and then getting crushed by a car. That would, it was the thing that was going to get me not wearing a helmet. No helmet's going to save me from a semi. So, but I've biked beside semis before and felt perfectly safe. Safety is definitely circumstantial. It's definitely, um, what do you call that? Uh, subjective? No, it's like subjective. It's just with an R. Relative. Um, it's definitely relative. You can feel safe in a situation. You can be on a battlefield and be perfectly safe. Um, there's that one scene in Generation Kill where the reporter is sitting behind a Humvee and he's the Lieutenant Fick comes up, um, read both of those books, by the way, uh, Fix and Generation Kill. Uh, Fick comes up and is like, hey, you feel safe right now? And he's like, yeah, pretty safe. It's like, yeah, you know, five, five, six, or even a 50 cal can't get through this tire. You feel pretty safe. But then, you know, you don't realize that uh, if this truck gets hit by a, you know, uh, uh, an RPG, it'll just go right through and tear everything out on the other side of the Humvee. Anyway, bye, and he runs off to take care of his duty, and the reporter's just sitting there going like, okay, thanks. <laughs> so safety, this is a good example, like safety is relative. You can make yourself feel safe, but you might not actually be safe. And in some situations, that's good. Like combat, digging a trench does make you safer, but not always. Um, but there are also the situations where like the government has to impose that type of safety because people are a bad judge of safety. So speed limits are a good example of that. If you didn't have speed limits, theoretically and hypothetically, everybody should be able to say, hey, this is driving too fast for this area or for this weather or whatever. But we're so bad at judging our own proficiency at driving and underestimating the elements and the, the yeah. environment around us. Especially so if you're... A male under the age of 25 <laughs> you're, you're what do you call that profiling it's like yeah i am profiling because yeah. it's true <laughs> it is very true and even if some women do it too like we're all humans so mm. the fact still stands it doesn't really matter if it's yeah. just men or women well one of my favorite examples is um again in world war ii uh you have the bombers now you kind of know those big hulking 
planes with the bombs in them and they've got a bunch of gunners in the side now it's impossible to actually hit a fighter going like 400 kilometers an hour uh going when you're trying to hit it with a 50 cal machine gun just and you can't really see anything it's chaotic there's flak going off everywhere so they found out that you know those gunners rarely ever shot anyone down and they didn't actually they did a cost benefit analysis halfway through the war or until like 1944 or something when the bombings were definitely taking off and they found out that the gunners weren't of actually any benefit into the defense of the aircraft. Um, things that would help them were weather and flying at night. You can't just fly at night because you know, you're sacrificing, uh, you're sacrificing accuracy of your bombing and you might hit things that you don't want to hit like, you know, schools or nothing. And so, um, what, both of those would be bad. One of them is obviously worse, but um, one thing that they found out is that they provided actually negative benefit to the fight bombers. So they said, okay, we're going to take out the guns. You can carry more bombs and you're going to, we're going to take out your gunners. So there's no more guns. There's no more gunner ammo. You don't have the weight of the gunner itself. Um, your, your plane's going to be more streamlined so you can go faster or carry more bombs. So this will be better for everyone around. And the pilots were just like, I don't care put those gunners in. I won't go if I don't have gunners. And the gunners are like, yeah, that's stupid. Why wouldn't you go up without a gunner? And so these educated, now you're not, they're officers. These educated men were just sitting there going like, I'm not going out. No. And they're, they were actively like, they wouldn't go up over Germany without gunners, even though statistically the air, the United States army air force had shown that it was of no benefit. They didn't actually provide any safety, but because they would do their job, if they provided a safe, you know, uh, safe uh, uh, show of safety, then they would go. Now this ended up costing human lives. Gunner, the life expectancy of a, of a American gunner was about three weeks um, from the time he went into battle. And so this, cost human lives but in the scheme of things actually getting those guys up there curtailed the german war effort by about you know the industrial uh, shortened the war by a couple of years by taking out about a third i think of german industry so can i piggyback on that example just to elaborate yeah. a little bit further too yeah. one of the other neat things that they came up with in in the war was um the planes that that arrived back that were all shot up and damaged and stuff oh, like that. This example, yeah. They were shot up in the same areas. So the statisticians decided that, hey, these types of planes can take a whole lot more damage than these other types of planes or something like that. Or they the would area say of that the planes. this siding, this paneling or something was more effective at uh, saving pilots' lives or whatever. But in the end, it just, it just so happened that the planes that got shot down weren't counted for, right? Yeah, they so were the ones that were hitting all those the ones other that places. Yeah, so, so they, they were, were only seeing armor. the ones that came back. Mm-hmm. So they were going to armor up the parts of the plane that had been hit, and they're like, no, no, no. Yeah. Those are the ones that survived. <laughs> the yeah, you bombs. armor the spot that hasn't been hit that did come back because that's the spot that's killing all the other uh, fighters. Right. So it's just an interesting addition to your um, your anecdote there because it actually, well, this is in the, in the same vein, even the statisticians get it wrong, right? Just from interpretation because relativity is relative. Mm-hmm. Well, this is survivor bias. Um, mm-hmm. I can go and say, well, I made it this long by not doing what you're doing. 
by not going and climbing around in caves. So, you know, therefore climbing around in caves is wrong. Well, no, I suck at climbing around in caves. That should be taken into account. Um, <laughs> so survivor bias definitely has a lot of like uh, emphasis on safety. But I think I do want to get into what happens when we start making this uh, a political issue. And it happened, well, heads got cut off in France. Um, everyone knows what happened to the, uh, to the Jews. And, uh, well, read Gulag Archipelago in the name of safety. Just put a tally every time you're reading that. Um, well, put a tally of every time you get so horrified that you have to put the book down. But then put a tally every time that you have, well, this is for your own good, or this is for the safety of the people, or this is for your work torturing you for your safety. Um, Which is the same motivation you use to pick the book back up again. <laughs> this is for right. my own good. <laughs> yeah. So, and, oh, boy. Yeah, I, I did not feel safe reading that book. Uh, but um, now China is definitely the best. You have inculcated safety as an excuse for the purpose of this, but it's happening in our society too. Oh, you can't do this. Why? It's for your safety. And then, well, you know, I show my, like one of those things is like I show my ID, but it's like, oh, it's not the ID we want. Okay. But then I can correlate a picture with my ID with my birth certificate with this because I have it on me for some reason. And I can prove using logic uh, 100% that I am the person that is on this ID. And so what I can, but then they're like, no, no, no. So safety in these situations overrides logic a lot of times. And that's what I'm kind of worried about. And it can get inculcated into systems systems of oppression no i can get inculcated into um political systems and political uh political i don't know campaigns that don't make any sense so you know like agenda the, items you mean right yeah agenda <clears throat> items you know stuff people are talking about we need to do this for the safety of these people but like these people are just fine and dandy or something like that and I'm, when we end up doing this en masse, I guess we become weaker as a people, but then we start enforcing what should be done. And this takes away from actual safety, in my opinion, because the safety, again, in my point from before, is the safety needs to be regulated by the individual because the individual knows best. Now, the obvious argument against that is, well, the individual is an idiot. Now, a lot of individuals are idiots. I'm an idiot in some respects but you know i know generally what i need to know to maintain my safety in my life because well, i'm good at that i'm good at analyzing but not everyone's as you know dashingly intelligent as me i guess <laughs> or is incomparably stupid as i can be in some situations <laughs> but the thing is, is that we're all stupid in some way. So that's, that's a good excuse. Well, people can't know, and therefore we have to regulate it because this will make it safety safe in every situation. And then invariably what happens is that doesn't work at all. You know, people find creative ways to screw up. <laughs> but like you said, that system, that way of approach also creates other problems that we're ignorant of. So like food safety, for instance, when they say like, oh, this preservative is safe enough to consume under this amount, that only quantifies how much you're getting from that one candy bar or that one bag of lettuce. 
it doesn't account for all of the other food that all has the same preservative in it. They're all saying that they're safe because they have like within the tolerance of non-toxic limit. Well, but when you add them together, they become toxic, but nobody knows because they have this false sense of security thinking that the FDA wouldn't approve any food that is actually toxic. Well, the FDA you, used to all be all the time. The best is a great example, actually, because the FDA used to say like fat bad, all fat bad. Yeah. And like for like all like all of our uh, life when we were kids, just like fat bad. And what happened? People got fat. <laughs> it's like, why? Well, because they started eating more sugar and more salt and then salt bad, but like actually salt, salt not completely bad. Yeah, uh, salt good for heart and good for exercise. <laughs> yeah, you like, if you're exercising in the heat, drink salt water, like drink Gatorade, there's salts in there. Mm -hmm. And so what was happening was they were trying to be safe without actually leaving it to, they just said, stop eating fat. And so a lot of people stopped eating fat. You get lean beef. Oh, it doesn't have as much fat in it. You know what makes the beef healthy and tasty? It's the fat. <laughs> and it's fat, also useful because to well, absorb vitamins and minerals, you need, you need lipids for, some, yeah. for a lot of them. Like, and the thing that makes you feel full to makes you stop eating so you don't need a giant meal is fat. Yeah. And like Voyager would eat, uh, was it pemmican? which is mostly fat, a bit of meat and some berries. And that would keep them going. They just have these things of pemmican and you, they would dip like bread into it and they just eat the fat. Uh, the Eskimo is Okay. Sorry. Not allowed to say that. The Inuit. Inuit <laughs> Eskimo just means horseshoe, uh, snowshoe maker or snowshoe wearer. I'm sorry. I'm going to be politically incorrect here, but the people I, I interviewed a guy for school, I'm not going to, say anything i don't know if i'm allowed to reveal his name because it was I just don't, then. yeah uh so he would live he was living out by rankin inlet and his favorite thing was moose and he'd take moose meat from the moose he would kill and then dip it in the blubber or like uh or like uh he'd kill a they kill a whale or something and they would eat the whale blubber and we we're all just sitting there like oh god <laughs> like how could you do that but it's so full of calories and to them, it tastes good. They got a palate for it. So to us, you know, it doesn't seem safe to eat that much fat. But if you're working, like, honestly, I could have eaten so much more fat in my life because there were times in my life where I was, the amount of energy I was putting in, I needed some pemmican. And so it's all based on circumstance of the individual. And we can't just regulate and make sweeping regulations. And this is why freedom is such a good thing because you know the chinese communist party in beijing seems to know what's best for the people of hong kong hong kong was one of the most powerful cities in the world just based on market uh share and just ability to create wealth and then it just got handicapped and then they think oh well we'll make it a safe market for people we'll make it ideologically safe too oh no that's you can make things ideologically safe Maybe we'll get back to that. And so what happened? Well, Hong Kong isn't an economic powerhouse anymore. Everything used to come through Hong Kong. Everything from Asia, Australia, anything you, time you ordered something from India, uh, New Zealand, it would all go through Hong Kong. And now it's just not. Nothing's going through there anymore. It's, it's, it's a shadow of what it was, and it will remain that because it was the ability for the people to leverage their own uh, 
knowledge is to make it to leverage their own risk that made it so strong. And okay, I'm going to keep arguing for freedom, but with regards to safety, we let people take those risks and we all benefited from it. Heck, we benefited from in Canada from having Hong Kong be so powerful and being such a trade node out there. And that's, it's kind of gone now. Well, there but, was also tax relief incentives and they, they, they had a really exploited population. So yeah, housing was always an issue. They had like the biggest, most the densely Kowloon. populated shanty town in the world there. Yeah. At one point. Yeah. And it was like, Oh, there were, there were mistakes because there was always mistakes. Yeah. Uh, that's like, a good way to get rich though, is when you pile 200,000 people into two, two or four square blocks and yeah, you make like, them work for 12 hours a day. Hong Kong airport would like the, the planes would just skim the top of Kowloon yeah. just that that's, and, uh, would the shanty projects, uh, and land just like that. So they had to tear it. They, they actually had to tear it down for safety because you know, the planes were the, well, that it was a fire hazard. Cause there's no windows like any, and people were cooking from like, you know, coal fireplaces and stuff right. inside the tents. Now, why is that? Because it turns out it's unsafe to live like it's the 16th century. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's so, objectively unsafe, not yeah. subjectively. So we, we, we make sure and we put regulations, but we don't really need them. Like how do we get people living like it's the 20th century? Why? Well, because you know, it's nice to have, you know, people are safer when they have, access to clean water and stuff like that and they have access to heating or air conditioning and so, so the way you framed it though how would you respond to a person that might suggest that that's an anarchist point of view or like an ex a radical libertarian point of view to suggest that everybody can measure their own quality of safety well there's still regulations that need to be done in with regard to like you know uh, that hmm, how do i say this Someone needs to put up those signs <laughs> and the signs do help. Um, now I'm not against government. I just think that they're idiots. Um, I come across as a libertarian sometimes, but I do see a purpose for the government and I don't see the purpose of the government being one that's pleasant to be in. Um, because as a citizen and the seatbelts is a great example of this, I think, because there was a huge fight to put seatbelts in and in hindsight, it's like, how could they fight seatbelts? How could they fight this and that? And I'm like, they fought it and they lost. And now we know that seatbelts are something worth it. We had that discussion as a society to determine whether or not that seatbelts were something that should be in cars because the, the arguments from the libertarian anarchy side didn't hold any water it's like there's you're not actually sacrificing anything which is what they want to do with you know you don't actually need to you know they're doing that with the you don't actually need to own a gun thing which is why the gun debate right now is so heated because you know it we need to have that debate because guns are uh inherently dangerous tools and i think the fact that I think we need to have those uncomfortable and chaotic debates. We need to have those fiery uh, 
things around every topic. I don't think, well, why are people resisting this mandate? Because we should be resisting every mandate. Why? Because the, man, the resistance is a debate in itself. And if we don't have that conversation, then the mandate, then we just start getting mandates that are... That becomes oppressive then. Well, it becomes oppressive. They can just put whatever on. Well, this is for your own safety yeah. uh, or off with your head. The debate becomes off with your head. And so every single stupid little thing, even down to like straws and like plastic and paper bags, we need to have these stupid, annoying, divisive debates because that's how our society uh, solves its problems. But through I think these... a lot of people conflate the issues, right? <clears throat> like the people against... Uh, seatbelts weren't against saving people's lives and stuff. They were against no. the imposition of government on how they build cars. They were saying on principle, like yeah. a lot of them were saying, we'll put seatbelts in our car. We'll give it as an option for people to buy, but we don't want the government telling us how to build cars. Yeah. Build cars. That's our job. And my like, and principle I'm... of gun control is usually what gets really heated. People in principle want the right to have firearms. Mm -hmm. and that's the part that gets heated. Nobody really contests the fact that they're dangerous. Yeah. Not, nobody's like, serious anyway. I remember talking to my mother and she was just like, yeah, it's stupid how they're trying to take away people's guns. I'm like, you preaching to the choir here. She has no intention of buying a firearm ever. And mm -hmm. it would be weird if she did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's an appropriate response. Just because you don't want to or need to or have the inclination to doesn't mean you have to hold it out from anyone else. But the seatbelts one is, it's benign. So it makes it seem good. But on the other side of it, we needed to have that debate because we needed to also know why are the car companies against it? Well, it takes more money to buy a car. And then you tell them, if it takes more money to buy a car, you can sell the car for more money. And they're like, oh, it's a safer car. And you can start talking about safety. And now we can sell cars based on safety. And now people will buy cars that are safer and they'll spend more for safety features. And so the car companies flipped. <laughs> They've definitely flipped. Mm -hmm. um, and so... But it was the a same... principle, though, that was that was contentious, I think. Not the actual issue that they were objecting to, but the right. principle that was underlying or underpinning the, the objection. So on, on the, on the, in the political sphere, what we're doing is we have to fight it out to see where... to see what it actually is. And so, you know, have something like, uh, okay, people are allowed to own guns... But it's kind of stupid if they own like we're not going to let them start buying rocket launchers and stuff but you know that's kind of dumb so we we learn where every debate is a discussion in society to learn where the line is which is necessary and necessary to not stop because the line also moves <laughs> like what happens if a car starts like self-driving cars do we need seatbelts then well self-driving car might screw up but it'll screw up a hell of a lot less than a human. But what if a car starts going, what if our cars start going thousands of kilometers an hour? And it's like, well, we need a seatbelt. No, you don't need a seatbelt because any accident you're going to get in is going to liquefy. Do, an ejection pod or something. Yeah, a seatbelt's going to be like the gunners on those B-17s. They're not going to do anything, but they're going to make you feel good. And so, um, and be a massive waste of ammo. But the but it got the bombs delivered. So I don't know, I'm kind of arguing, but the thing is, is that that safety debate needs to be constantly going and we can't just shoot people, eh, bad choice of words, shout <laughs> people down for saying, I don't want to be safe. I want to be, I want to be in danger a little bit all the time. Like 
I go hiking to be not safe sometimes to get used to it to to and that's kind of one of the reasons I go into you know I reject uh humanity and embrace monkey for a bit so that I can be in a position where I'm dealing with a curated um exposure to danger if I go hiking in the thing I could easily you know there could be easily be a situation where I'm in danger or where I could be placed in mortal peril there's bears and lions and tigers and omis oh and there's all these things that could happen to me but when you get out you feel that sense of accomplishment and you come home and you see things in a clearer light my washing machine catching fire isn't isn't a valid safety issue <laughs> and so whether or not they regulate it doesn't isn't really matter to me uh it might matter if it, it becomes an issue when they overregulate things and this is kind of where i start becoming a libertarian is that things that go too far sorry i'm jumping around a lot i'm trying to i'm going in a roundabout way to answer your question if you regulate my washing machines and the washing machine industry to such a point that no one can have washing machines or it takes forever to build a washing machine then that's too much regulation you're starting to have a detrimental effect on the quality of life and i think that's where i end up personally drawing a line is this affecting my quality of life is this affecting um the ability for me to be productive is this, is this affecting my ability to live my life as an individual in my society well yeah and so when you i'm going to be angry if you try and take my hobby away of shooting guns because you say well why do you need a gun and i'm like well why do you buy shoes <laughs> why do you buy cars cars are even more dangerous than guns if you have statistics to show otherwise please somebody post them but cars <laughs> are much, much more dangerous and we don't have anyone trying to take them away. And gymnastics is super dangerous, but the benefits for it are, are immense. Well, how about we like tread in that gray area a little bit more just to like uh, ruffle just, some feathers. Yeah, how about football? Safe. Football? Oh, football's great. Yeah, but children and football and concussions is like a really huge issue these days. Now, how, how do you square that peg? I'd have to square it by bringing up rugby. <laughs> well, rugby's but, even worse than football. Yeah, but you have as far I, as like childhood, like permanent damage oh, that you yeah. can do to a person. The safety problems of kids playing football are widely debated right now, and yeah. saying should we regulate? Like you were going to get into sports anyway, so I'm trying to like yeah. So words that exactly. No, this is a, this is a good example because I'm actually now full disclosure. I think football's boring. So I don't have any uh, skin in the game, which I think is a football term. Um, yeah, but, skin. yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> or no, golf so, skins. Never mind. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, golf is dangerous. You get hit by the ball. <laughs> ban golf. Ban assault golf balls. <laughs> so um, what happens in football is actually, you know, you do have a long-term thing. And I remember my brother got a concussion from football when he was younger. And he, well, he got over it, but it's not good for your brain to get concussions. I've definitely gotten concussions before. Uh, when I got this scar, I got one. When I got hit by a hockey puck for this scar, I got one. Yeah, I've got lots of scars. But the 
Um, not as many as me. <laughs> I guess. Okay. Let's let's look at this mathematically then. People enjoy football. And they're allowed to, and they enjoy it to such an extent that they'll be willing to put their safety aside and to enjoy it. Now I've seen people and how much they enjoy it. It's the same with hockey, but football more so because hockey is hockey's weird. Hockey's really weird when you think about it more, but people are literally smashing up against each other and it's not, it's violent, but it's not violence. Um, That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. (laughs) So they're smashing up against each other. And even in training, they're bashing their bodies in. This is not good for your body. Um, And it does do long-term damage. Now, if you're in the NFL, that's part of the payment. You get fame, money, and status, but in trade, you get to die at 60 in a lot of pain. And so a lot of them know this, and a lot of them are willing to deal with that. And they have, you know, they're getting better and better equipment so that people can still play this. But like you said, sometimes that fix causes more problems, like the elbow pads and stuff in hockey are causing more concussions than not having elbow pads and people yeah. breaking arms. Oh. There was a story recently and my wife plays ring at and someone landed on their elbow and shattered it. And like, oh, never, I don't even think about that. Yeah. And so now they wear elbow pads all the time. Now, elbow pads aren't that big of a thing. They just probably didn't have them that day. But now they know to wear them all the time. Now I've landed on my elbow tons of time and that's never happened. I think. And, uh, but they had to get like pins and reconstruction. But at the same time, I can't say that i let people do it now to be fair if you're not wearing equipment which is important you get there's still touch football you can play touch football non-tackle football uh flag football all these ways of bringing the quarterback or the ball down but when do you decide the state is allowed to tell me this is unsafe and i'm not allowed to do it and i get to decide for myself like that's right. sort of the gray area. I think the gray area on. with that, when the, with the state intervention, the state can mandate that, you know, this has to be done. But if the state spends my money to patrol schools and patrol fields and starts handing out tickets to people that are, you know, being fast and loose with their safety and playing football, that's, I don't think that's right because what's happening when you actually punish someone, you're you're essentially scolding them. No, you did a bad thing. Now, playing football isn't a moral thing. It's not, I, I can't even justify it being illegal because while well, you're putting other people's, um, you're putting other people's safety at risk, what else is happening? So to regulate it is kind of Is Windows trying to interrupt you? (laughs) Yeah, Windows is doing some weird stuff. So what's happening is you are spending money now from the people who are applying it to and enjoying it and watching it and engaging in it with adult consent. And I think that's a big thing there too, is and putting limitations on the actions and movements of people, which goes against now one of the things that we hold dear in our modern society. Now there's certain things that we tolerate. I'm going to get into rights, I guess. There's certain things that we tolerate in society because 
the trade-offs are worse. Now we brought this up with uh, in a couple episodes before, where the why like we get, we get something like why don't we change voting so that uh, these type of people have two votes or something or something like that. And anything where well let's take this group of people and give them something else. What you're creating is a second group. You're creating a stratification within a civil society where everyone's supposed to be equal under the law. Okay. But we realize that that's stupid and that has horrifying consequences. So we're willing to have stupid elections and we're willing to have kind of some weird laws with regard to, uh, uh, you know, schools and stuff because we realize that by stratifying people, we're actually putting them in a worse situation than had they had stupid elections. And so we're doing the trade-off. And so there's a limit. You can say, oh, fuck, I think I just figured it out. <laughs> so you can tell these people, okay, football can equal concussions. And here's what the government can do. It's, it would be a waste of everyone's resources and it would actually probably topple the government if you had, you know, football commissars going around saying you're not allowed to play football. You know, this is a dangerous sport. You should know better. You know, act, actively telling their citizens that they're idiots, which happens. Um, you know, the police enforcing something and they don't care because they're just hearing it in both ends going like, how could you do this? It's just football. It's just apple pie. But what the government can do is tell everyone how dangerous football actually is so people can now make an informed decision and this comes it's like with, cigarettes and alcohol well cigarettes and alcohol and like, like cars alcohol. and firearms and everything else that's dangerous that's what yeah. we do we educate people well and that's one of the reasons i i'm so up on firearm safety like i love firearms like it's kind of one of my things and i enjoy doing it but <laughs> I understand the, the, the nature of them. I think some of the laws are stupid. I think half the laws are stupid. But the training course that you have to take should definitely expand. It should definitely not, like, the more you can teach people about firearms and education and know the risks and how to handle them properly, the better people are going to be. Because then what happens is that each individual within a civil society uh, now, when I say civil society, you know what I mean? Everyone is a citizen and should be able to make their own decisions unless they are deemed incapable by, you know, through dementia or being, you know, one of those children <laughs> or um, uh, they've lost that privilege due to, you know, if you hurt somebody intentionally, well, you lose privileges. So, but inform informed informing people about what's going on is a lot easier and it doesn't create ruffle as many feathers and it allows us to make these decisions and it actually might help innovation because all of a sudden it's just like did you know that 50 percent of people that play two years of football get concussions and everyone playing football is like oh well, what can we do about that well we can stop playing football or we can do what we do in our society and innovate make a better helmet like um well they've even you, changed some rules to make it less uh less yeah. um what do you call that dangerous i guess well, so like um kickoff returns aren't as common as they used to be and onside kicks used to be more common too 
But like the risk to that type of play every time you play a game of football, if there's three or four of those, is somebody running full speed this way at 200 pounds and like a fit athlete and somebody running the opposite direction, trying not to get tacked down. Also 200 pounds running at full steam ahead. Like that's just calamity waiting to happen. You know what I mean? So like we can tweak the rules even just like we did with the offside rules and hockey and blue lines and stuff so that people don't chase for the icing. That was another rule we changed to, to prevent injuries because chasing a puck right down to the boards, you have no time to stop. You're trying to go full speed to be the first to touch the puck. But now they just say if you're the first and you're going to get it, they count that as icing. So you don't actually have to finish the entire uh, sprint. Yeah. And well, that also because it prevents them. injuries. Yes. It, and it also saves money <laughs> because <laughs> they have that uh, like the, the game gets quicker and they can have more ad time or something. But on the uh, another with the NHL that I'm trying to look up is rule. I think it was 83 or 84 is a I just saw a thing like the rule uh, hit 10 years today. Uh, and what happened is, yeah, rule 48. Uh, which is if you hit somebody in the head, you get a 12-game suspension. That's a good rule. Now, the NHL is the government of hockey uh, on that level, like period. They run the thing. Now, it's not, it's not the government's job to handle it because it's not the government doesn't run companies, no. But the NHL has to maintain certain safety levels because if – you know, players keep getting hurt and they keep getting thing. Then it's just like, this is not a safe work environment, which is why also you have the uh, players union, the NHLPA. And it so also the, becomes a cost to the taxpayers. If there's tons of healthcare right. benefits being paid out to sports. Now, the other reason why it's not the government's business is because not all the taxpayers have an investment in the NHL. It's none of the, that's none of the taxpayer business. Nobody in Arizona or let's pick New Mexico. Sarah, no team. team. No teams. Nobody in New Mexico gives a flying hoot about what happens in the NHL. They're like, is that a baseball team? No. So why would they, like, they would probably care more. It's like, well, my tax money shouldn't be going to keep hockey players safe. And you know what? They're, they're right. It should be going, if anything, you know, it should be going to safety ads for football or baseball. Don't hit people with baseball bats. <laughs> or, um, which is surprisingly common, actually. If you consider injuries with sports equipment, baseball bats are right up there. <laughs> yeah, they throw the baseball bat, hit somebody, or getting hit by the ball. Or just going out to beat somebody up with a baseball bat. Usually you don't grab a hockey stick, you grab a baseball bat. It's far more often a weapon of choice than a hockey stick. In Canada, you will see it though. Yeah, <laughs> but, but that's Mexico, just because they're everywhere. Everybody's yeah. got a hockey stick sitting at the front door of their house. <laughs> it's yeah. the first thing you grab. Yeah. Oh man, I yeah, I, I'm not. I'm def I definitely have a hockey stick upstairs. It's the not interesting for safety. point you're touching on is um where that piqued my interest anyway, was the uh that the government has no place in in regulating the the sport itself as like the business. Right. Until it affects the taxpayers, which the government is representing. Right. Right. That's what you're saying. Because it's because you can't regulate a game. Uh, and well, OK, places have tried like you see like Soviet Union and stuff like that, where it's just like they try and regulate everything. There's like a commission on accepted jokes, uh, which I'm sure worked wonderfully. But um what the Soviet Union ended up doing was they wanted to look good on the world stage. So what they do, 
they formed a hockey team and they just let them do hockey. They literally just said, make it good. They didn't regulate them. They worked the Soviet players, you know, to an ungodly degree. Uh, there was a really good documentary on that a couple of years ago, but, um, they got good cause they worked hard, but they let the Soviet union kind of just let the hockey crew do it because they just said, make a hot, good hockey team. You better win championships. And that was the only regulation really. I want results. They didn't like say, well, no, I need you to do this on the blue line, make this kind of passes. Cause I think that would be good, but that doesn't serve any purpose. What is important is results for them. But in our society, you can't regulate a game because people are going to, kids are going to play hockey and football as a matter of course, you know, in what, then at what point do you draw the line? Where does football start and regulated football begin? So, you know, playing catch with your dad, probably not. Or uh, playing uh, pickup with your friends uh, in the field behind your house maybe maybe not are you going to send the police out for that that's a waste of police time they could be doing you know real police work uh school. but compare that with like martial arts competitions right yeah. you're not allowed to go out and punch people in the face except if you're in a boxing gym then you're perfectly allowed to go out and punch people in the face right but only when they're consenting you can't just right. walk up to somebody training and knock you know deck them. Well, hockey's so weird too because we actually allow violence in that sport. Yeah, bare knuckle non- fighting is illegal in this country, except if it's on ice. <laughs> yeah, and then the government, like most people, uh, will be like, except for you know pearl clutchers, will uh, <laughs> sound like a libertarian when I say that, don't I? I was uh, just thinking of porno. <laughs> <laughs> most people will, uh, you know, the, the the housewives clutching their pearls, being like, oh, won't somebody please think of the children? Let's be like, oh, the fight started on there, and everyone will be like, oh, I should probably. We should probably break that up, but no one gets charges pressed unless it gets out of hand. Now, there are rules at which point the violence on the ice becomes actual legalized violence. There is a line and everyone kind of customarily knows where that's drawn. If you start like hitting people intentionally because you hate them uh, and trying to hurt them, that's not right. You, a fight in hockey is a fight of frustration. They're like, oh, I'm gonna, this is it's more, it's an extension of the game. That's the game going into a chaotic space and the refs bring it back. And we've stopped it to some extent. The NHL has brought it down. So they regulate the hockey, the, the, the fighting. So you don't get those brawls like in the fifties where you see like Maurice Richard, uh, handshaking the Boston goalie and they're just covered in blood or happy Gilmore rushing him with the blade of a skate. Yeah. And so <laughs> that doesn't happen. Like it's because but what I'm get, but those are the people, obvious cases, right? Sports. Why don't you get into the one, like the gray area, the part that's actually difficult and contentious mm-hmm. and like elaborate on that. Like when do we consider one sport has this line? One sport has this line. The government has no, no rule in it because the, the organization has to to adjudicate and whatever for themselves. Yeah. But at what point do you draw that line for the government's intervention? Because that's sort of what we're getting at here is the excessive overreaching of the government to try and make people safe, like to enforce safety. That's really more the issue than um, there being a lack of safety out in the, the natural world because yeah. nature is constantly trying to kill us. 
yeah. every time you breathe a breath of air the you know the atmosphere is like losing some of it so <laughs> well, hell i live in edmonton and like there's a there's a there's a fuel refinery like five kilometers away mm. <laughs> like it's probably not the best for me but um no but i just mean in general we're, we're consuming the earth's resources and the earth is consuming human beings like every time we die we decompose into the earth again you know yeah so and but at one point, though, with the state's um, extension of the population, at some point you got to realize that there is a, a reasonable overreach by the government to enforce safety regulation when it's subjectively, or I mean, objectively clear, right? We agree on that part. Yeah, where it's, but it's subjective. Not, it's not always. Oh, okay, go on. This, yeah. Like boxing is a really good example of this. Like fist fighting and boxing. If you saw or somebody MMA. fist fighting in the back of a, a bar or something, they both get thrown in the back of a, a cop car and they, they go to jail. Like mm -hmm. you're not allowed bare knuckle fighting anywhere in Canada, but you can fight with gloves on, but only in certain circumstances, blah, blah, blah. But if you hit somebody who's not capable of fighting back, like in UFC, uh, when they're down or they tap out or something, if you keep hitting them, that is assault. Yeah. And I think that comes down to like the people that are bare knuckle boxing in for sport, they're professionals. They know what's going to happen. They know what happens when they get hit. A rugby player knows what happens. Uh, a football player know what happened when they you know tackle somebody. They're aware of the risks. But if you put say, uh, if you put uh, people in a position where they don't know or they're not aware of the risks. I think that's uh, that's a problem because if I'm taking a risk, I want to know the risks and I will, you know, I'll study before I go hiking and stuff like that and I know what I'm getting into. But putting them like making I don't know, making the Philadelphia Flyers play, you know, the East Selkirk Junior A team, that might be like that Junior A team and then telling the Philadelphia Flyers that play it like it's nhl guys those 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 kids are gonna get murdered i think i'm not communicating something clearly though like okay think about like going out for your hike right how you're yeah. encouraging that chaos to be inflicted upon you as some sort of type of exercise yeah imagine if the government said that nature is too scary you're not allowed to go out on your own unless we give you a permit to go to the woods mm -hmm. that would be overreaching and they, you'd be losing quality of life based on the government trying to keep you safe yeah, right. and to some extent that is actually happening. Um, Parks Canada does limit the amount of people that can be on a trail at a time for, uh, that's actually for nature's safety. How ours. reasonable is that though? Depends on the trail really. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like no, saying a ski does... slope that has a black diamond, you can't let anybody who's not a black diamond qualified skier go, I've, I've gone down black diamond. I mean, it's Winnipeg. We don't have black diamonds. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's so circumstantial. Like it's, we're constantly um debating this in society all the time because some some trails are the the safety thing that keeps you back is price like oh, why can't i go in there's no one up there well you know we, we just we're not no one's out allowed there with this it's like i'm a perfectly fine uh thing and then i just decide to go up because i know what i'm getting into well and then i get charged for trespassing well it's for your own safety well you can't go 60 kilometers an hour on the road because it's for your own safety but they're, you're denying me my knowledge, but I think it becomes overreach when we say stuff like it's for your own safety instead of using logical arguments against it. Well, why, 
why can't I go hiking in this area? Well, because we're trying to protect the biodiversity of that area and you being there isn't going to help that. It's what like, about like things like avalanches or mud, mudslides? There's a risk of an avalanche yeah. that we deem is unacceptable for you. And if you say, I'm aware of the avalanche risk and I still want to go, do you think you should be allowed to? Uh, they, uh, because then there's okay. a cost, again, okay, when, when my... you're stranded and they got to send helicopters and dogs to go find you buried under an avalanche. Okay. Like, there's a Libertarian cost. hat. I'm going to put my libertarian, anarcho-libertarian hat on. Yeah, yeah that person should be able to sacrifice his own life. <laughs> In my mind, though, like if it, for me personally, take off my libertarian hat, um, sometimes it's a bit thin. <laughs> Props help. Yeah. Um, me, if you tell me like, well, it's an avalanche and I'm going to want more information. You're going to have to convince me that I shouldn't go. And if you say, well, it's an avalanche, it's like, so there's always a potential for an avalanche. And they'll be like, no, no, there's a high risk potential for avalanche. And I'll be like, where's the data? Show me the data that you used to. Well, we just determined it. Well, then you're an idiot and I'm going. But if they say, no, we actually, uh, we're setting up the avalanche cannon. Those are a thing. And we're just going to hit it and cause the avalanche today so that you know it's not we know for sure there's going to be an avalanche right we know for because you know we know for sure there's going to be an avalanche and we're causing it now so that happens in a time and place where we know there's not going to be any people we've even taken steps to get uh wildlife out there so that you know bunnies don't get crushed some groundhogs are probably not going to make it but they weren't going to make it anyways so and i'm just like oh can i go tomorrow and they'll be like yeah, totes. <laughs> so it's it and really... that's a great example of those cannons too, because that's a risky endeavor. In order to increase the safety of everybody else, they have to do something unsafe, like causing an avalanche. Yeah, or a forest fire, like yeah, or burning, burning brush, and which is which we thought was you know we need to stop forest fires, but now we've stopped forest fires for so long. Forest fires are becoming well, it's global warming. It's like it's not global warming. We weren't letting the forests burn enough. Yeah, and, like Mexico never has to worry about sending planes out and choppers to drop water because they just let forest fires happen and the the forests regrow. Right. But when you protect the forest for so long that it's all so huge, when you get a fire, the whole thing's like a giant candle. Right. And so you end up with what we have now. And, you know, it might end up, you know, probably a bait within a couple of years, but we learned our lesson with forest safety. And now, like you'll see if you go to Riding Mountain National Park, there's like burn stumps everywhere because they know how to do conservation. That was one of the problems with Jasper was uh, why there was so much problem with um, the bugs there was they, they weren't burning anything because for decades and decades and now the ecosystem's actually uh, having trouble keeping up and being as it's, it's not as lush because they were trying to keep it pristine for the mm -hmm. tourists. And that was a problem. Um, the guy who actually taught me hiking was really getting into that uh not hiking uh, uh climbing which is why i bring up climbing but i think with regard to like a lot of it is with regard to safety though a lot of it is customary and a lot of it is informed now to some extent the problem is i keep bringing this up is that not all of us can be informed um children for example um you can't give you know children can't give consent why because they're children they can't make decisions and they're not you know, uh, they, they aren't, they haven't reached the age of reason to be able to suss out what is, um, what is an appropriate risk. And so we don't let them risk, uh, certain things. Like we don't let them risk, 
uh, sexual activity. We don't let them risk driving. We don't let them risk smoking. We don't let them risk drinking. We don't let them risk a whole bunch of stuff. And why at 18? Well, you should know the risks by now to be to make your informed decision as an individual. But there are some individuals in our society that don't have the reasoning capability past 18. And there's probably a lot more than you think, but a lot fewer than we'd expect, um, which is to say there are there and they are a problem and <laughs> they are a problem for themselves, but they are also usually safety problems for the rest of us. But and those people are going to be a risk in a kitchen or wherever they are. Anyway, yeah, so <laughs> there's no protecting them. Like, and I'm definitely going to be a risk in certain areas. Like, I don't know. I can't think of one right now, but bathtubs, um, pools. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a good swimmer underground. I would probably freak out. So, but the thing is, is that. But I mean, you'd have a tendency to run on the wet tile. Like you're the type that would be like me and like, I can run around a pool. (laughs) It's like no running. And then I start sliding. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're the one doing that big slide all the way down. It's like no sliding. It's like, (laughs) put a flat service and a hydroplane. Of course, I'm going to slide here. (laughs) Yeah. Slide right into the pool. Do a flip. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the thing is, is that the question I think comes down to is whether these individuals who show poor decision-making capabilities for whatever reason. Um, maybe if you've, you know, it could be anything from lack of uh, encountering this uh, a specific situation, you know, city person who's never been in the bush before, uh, or someone who has, you know, a low IQ individual, um, or a someone who is mentally handicapped. You know, so you don't no Donald give- Trump's allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep giving him feed burger. The, 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 just keep feeding him burgers and he'll be fine. <laughs> um, but the Again, somebody um, didn't communicate the safety risk of eating KFC twenty four seven. Yeah, well, I'm not. And that's another one of those safety things I wanted to actually get into with the food is also right. like the yeah. um, we're not informing people already about foods that we deem safe. Like we already have a safety control system that we're not managing properly. And I think the reason we're not managing it properly is because we don't discuss how to address gray areas like at all. They all just run independently and try and figure it out for themselves. Well, with the the gray areas, with these people that can't make a decision, can't be told of the things and be expected to make a logical decision. Is it the government's place to take care of them? Now, my initial reaction is no. And my libertarian hat when I put it on is F no. Uh, but if I take off my libertarian hat and I put on my, um, my, uh, my people need to be taken care of hat, uh, you know, liberal, not radical liberal, uh, I guess what we would call the traditional left, um, not the one we have now, but the, um, would say you can't just leave them. You can't just let them, you know, blow themselves up. You can't just, let them do this. So I guess the ones, again, this, again, this is a safety net safety. Oh man, that's a interesting choice of words. But when we talked about education, you can't let anyone hit the ground. So you at least have a baseline of schooling and medic and, and, and medical care, but it goes for safety too. You have to at least have a baseline of something to help. And that's, I guess, where the government goes. But for the rest of us, there's charities, there's, um, NGOs that help with this. There's uh, 
charitable, I guess any charitable organization that helps people handle situations that they wouldn't be able to handle. There's families, there's companies who can, who should be regulating their own safety and the government steps in to make sure they're doing that. Um, you mandate safety and safety training uh, so that people know. And beyond that, you can do that, but it's up to the people around them. And when that fails, then the government can step in and, and, and make sure they're safe. But to what extent? I don't know, because where are even the cracks? And I think that's a good way of framing it, because you're basically saying that the government shouldn't be drawing the line at the line. It should be drawing the line below the standard so that somebody else draws a, a higher standard. Yeah. Broadly speaking, but at least it catches people from falling too far, like limiting us with fireworks before we were 18. Yeah. It was really smart of them to do it when we knew we couldn't get a, a, a criminal record or whatever. <laughs> It was really smart of the government to limit our access to, to firecrackers. Well, limiting our criminal records, because we did get into a bit of trouble, but we never got charged because, you know, uh, we knew that the, the cops knew that we were just being stupid. And so the the, the proportion of the, the, the punishment fit the crime. If you make, you know, flat uh, punishments, you know, because, you know, you have some ideological nonsense going on, like any affront to the rule is an affront to the party, um, then you get re-education or something. Like you see people violating the rules of safety, the line set by the Communist Party, and you see videos online of people just being tortured. And they're like, why did you do this? What did, what did you do? It's like, oh, I love the Communist Party. It's like, what did you do? I said, uh, I said it was that I didn't like my job and that I, uh, and I, and I, and I uh, thought that the was being poorly run. And do you feel bad about that? Yes. Why? Because I was spreading sedition. It's just like, geez. And you got like picked that one video, of that guy just sitting in a chair, like shackled to a chair. He's like, arms are shackled on the desk. And so he can't move. And he's like, obviously been tortured before. For and those are the videos we have, though. The ones that didn't yeah. get videos taken of them, I guarantee are much, much worse. Yeah. And so when one of your one of those people gets taken away, you know, in Hong Kong, they either die or they get reeducated, which is torture. And it's that's, that's not why every time a billionaire goes missing, <laughs> you never know if they actually got murdered or something or if they were told by the government to just like lay low for a year like Jack Ma. Or oh, like yeah, right. And yeah. other billionaires that the Chinese government has gone after. Well, there's that one guy one now. There was that one guy who got killed because he ended up having stashing like millions of dollars in bribes in his house. Mm -hmm. And they found like millions of dollars in his in house the walls because he couldn't or do it, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. He ended up having like two wives or something, which is also not allowed in China. And so they they like disappeared him. <laughs> and so we can go too far with safety and I think a lot of it comes down to where you as an individual think it is and why I bring it back to the original question is why I think it's a derogatory term to be like, oh, well, I need to be safe. I just need to make sure I'm safe. And it's like you're in, you're saying to the world and I'm hearing what I'm hearing as an individual is I can't handle complex situations. I am fragile. I am not willing to become anti-fragile. I'm not willing to, you know, harden myself to a place where I can have a greater share of love and prosperity in my life because it's not safe to date. 
it's not safe to do any of the things. Nothing is safe. And I think that's probably where it comes down, why I'm not willing to, I'm willing, I have, I want to mull things over before I like start using a seatbelt or start wearing a helmet because nothing is safe. Everything is a risk. Absolutely everything. You're never going to get away from it. Doing some, going to school, risky. There's no way you can get through school without making risks. And if you get used to it, you are actually making yourself not safe. If you become used to not doing this and you end up giving away you, who you are, you, you stop expanding as an individual because if you're playing it safe. You don't test out that new shirt in public. The one with the, that looks a little, you know, risky, or you don't try new forms of interaction. You don't take a chance and ask the girl out. You don't have the conversation that'll stabilize your marriage, even though it's going to be hell. And you don't talk to your parents about that thing you need to talk about. You don't do any of these things because they're uncomfortable, because they're not safe, because you don't know what you're going to get out of it. But you never know unless you try. So, you know, if keeping it safe comes a swear word to me. <laughs> so, I think my only objection to it might be our emphasis on the negative of fragility rather than the emphasis being on reinforcement of um, resilience. Yeah. So rather than rather than being anti-fragile, I would rather say I am pro-resilient. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't like the approach that we take to the safety discussion where one side says, oh, you're all just wearing pillows on your ears. And the other, the other side saying like, oh, you all just want to like cut and yeah. stab people and everybody, but you think everybody should just die by you. their own accord. Well, I think I Nassim Taleb handles this question because he's not advocating for like, you know, pillows over your ears to protect your eardrums. Well, the best way to handle, you know, become anti-fragile is to, you know, nail things in your ears. Like, oh, I, develop a resistance to bullets by shooting myself with progressively larger calibers. <laughs> but, you know, but there is some truth to it, just like all things. Like if, if you talk to um, any of those martial artists from like the Shaolin temples and stuff like that, part of their exercise and practice is giving themselves bone fractures in their fists because the ossification of a fractured bone becomes stiffer than the porous natural bone, which is just hollow in the middle, basically, not literally. Oh, but okay hollow-ish it's yeah. porous but when you fracture a bone and it heals the ossification uh reinforces the joint it makes it stronger as long as you don't completely destroy it yeah so they'll sit there and they'll pound their fist on bricks of concrete not like full board but they'll hit it pretty hard but by time they're old they can throw a full board punch at a brick without breaking their hand or right anything. now they're also giving up now it they're doing this so that they can maintain that they can engage in combat more effectively. Combat's gonna kill them. So they're probably not gonna live too long. So they don't have to worry about arthritis. They don't actually do that. It's just, okay. it's a martial arts. But you get workers. <laughs> For like, the discipline. One thing that we used to do in um, in gymnastics, and when I say anti-fragile, I mean like, I'm not saying like do something stupid. I'm saying I'm fragile if I don't develop the calluses on my hands. Because one of the things you're doing is you have chalk and you have those strap things that you wear around and those help. That's all they do. And so what you really want is you need to develop calluses here 
here. Mm-hmm. And then you rely on those calluses to um, get to maintain the surface with the bar. So you can go around it and around it. There's a lot of friction. And what happens is early on in gymnastic training, you lose the skin here. Mm-hmm. And you grow it back, and it's just this thick callus right here. And yeah, it's the rock climbing is the same too. Because if you pinch playing. on a, a sharp rock too hard, and you hurt your hand, then you're stuck up there with one arm. Like right. <laughs> you want a callus, right? And guitar playing is the same. Like yeah. how well better of a guitar player will you be if you develop that callus? Now, developing a callus is not the same as uh, is not the same as like cutting your wrists or something. cutting your wrists or something. Like you are you're not like subjecting yourself you're becoming harder through um through uh through practice and so and i think we all we don't all need to become anti-fragile in the same way either like i don't need to develop calluses um for certain things i don't need to become hard in the face of i don't know uh you know iron well the thing's getting good at something means you necessarily too that you might not be able to do something else like if Mm -hmm. if if you're playing if you want to do um gymnastics and stuff and you want to play guitar at the same time you could probably figure out and work it out and whatever but if you were trying to play piano and guitar at the same time that callus is going to make noise when you press on a key like you physically won't be able to press the key without it clicking against the callus so you can't actually do both well and that's like people metaphor like an analogy but yeah, well, it's with everything you do in your life. You're clo- like every with every door you go through, you're 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 abandoning a couple doors that you didn't. I still haven't learned math, and you could still come back. I've learned you could walk back yeah. through them later, but just at and, the same time, there's a limit to how many things you can hold up in the air. But I think part of getting coming to terms with a lack of safety is coming to terms with the fact that um, that that progress in your life is also loss. You are also sacrificing a lot to move forward with your life but if you don't sacrifice you know the potential that you had for the reality of what you want then you're never going to get it like i had to set like to get married i made a sacrifice i all those women i could have had <laughs> it's like well like no it's true I, it's true I, I chose this one which means all the other ones are off the table and so now you know i can't I can't say, well, I could, well, I could say if I'm focused like this, I'd be like, oh, I could be regretful and be like, oh, I screwed up. Uh, look at that woman. Look at that woman. Look at that woman. It's like, that's stupid. I could focus on, you know, I could be like, oh, it's not actually safe to choose. And you see a lot of guys do this. It's like, well, marriage is actually a bad thing. It's not safe. It makes you unhappy. Well, it's just, you're stupid. Sorry. <laughs> but, and I think it's just personal. <laughs> it is personal, but at some point, like the arguments against it a lot of times are just I just roll my eyes um yeah, but in, like, in any case there's the no only argument i've ever heard against it that i liked was i don't want to <laughs> yeah and that's a perfectly valid argument that most people don't employ <laughs> yeah most people try and find some like reasoning to to dance around or whatever but like ultimately it is just a, a lifestyle preference it's no different right. from choosing the clothes that you want to wear or the the people the type of sexual orientation or whatever you want to uh, yeah identify and, with we'll say yeah uh, but i guess what i what i was trying to um to emphasize though was the approach to people's insecurities i think we should be more compassionate about it 
And the fragility word as a derogatory statement or a slur or whatever, or like safety as a slur, I completely agree with it and I understand it, but I try not to, um, to endorse it because I want to try to in, uh, encourage growth as opposed to uh, people, right. as opposed to focusing on people's limitations or shortcomings. Well, I want to my... emphasize the opportunity of growth that is available despite those limitations. Right. Well, that's kind of where I'm That's why I consider it a slur because I see the potential in people and I see them not taking it because, yeah. and yeah, honestly, we do need compassion for people who do not are, are, how do I say this politely, who are meek in places where I am, in, where I am strong. And so, um, that's about as diplomat. I, I don't want to be offensive, but on the other side of that, you know, people do need, like we have necessity to uh, nurture children and those who are, um, unable to take care of themselves. And we need to have compassion for them, but that doesn't mean I need to have compassion for them. <laughs> So, um, Fair I can, Again, that's a personal... I can, no, it is a personal thing and I can have, I can empathize with them. I can definitely empathize. I, think that's I know where they're coming from. Well, no, I, empathy, empathy would mean you would understand. No, empathy is, I understand the feeling that they have. I don't want my son to go on the road. It's like, I understand that you, you're, you, I understand the feeling. Oh no, I could lose my son. I could lose this. But I don't think you understand the intensity of the feeling. The reason why they believe something different, having the same set of information as you is because they feel it differently. You can't right. say you feel it the same if you think we, about it differently. Okay. But at the same, we do feel like the same, like it's it, similar. It, it's, 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 it's the same feeling, but it's more intense. But that doesn't mean I can forgive them just because it's it's more intense. Oh, you wouldn't let your son leave the house by the time he was twenty, like before he was thirty, because you were afraid of him. I'm not having like I can empathize, but I will not sympathize. But in other cultures, it was totally weird for people, oh, yeah. like grown adults, to leave the house before they got married. Yeah, like it's just a cultural preference. That right. type of thing that we just assume is natural or right. normal that's... for an adult human being to just get their own place. Right. That's not always been the case, and no, because but... that has changed over time, I have to admit that I could be wrong about it. Do right. You know what I mean? But in our society, like if I'm talking to someone in, uh, I don't know, Kazakhstan, randomly picked it up, and I and I go over there and I say. Well, you know, son's kids should leave the house. That's stupid of me. That's just dumb. But if I'm sitting here talking to someone in my same class, in my like same like uh, general class, same um, country, same culture, I can do that because I like I understand that they're holding their son back. But it's like, oh, the son living at home in somewhere like Kazakhstan or in the middle you of Africa would mean they're holding their son back. No, no, but no. Um, you really yeah. believe it. I agree with you, but no, that's but still in, a belief. Somewhere, no, not a let me finish. Fact. Let me actually finish here. So what I'm going, if I go to another place and I say, oh, you're holding your son back, blah, blah, blah. That's invalid because I don't understand the cultural mores. Like, you know, you get Filipino families who live together longer and closer because that's what their culture does. And so for them to stay at home doesn't have the same meaning as someone in the same circumstances and culture as me to stay at home, uh, leaving the nest. The nest means something different in another culture, and I have to take that into account. But I can also make a judgment, and I don't have to be nice. And I don't have to be nice in, every, in any circumstances. And being nice to me 
is to some extent unsafe. And so I don't have to be nice, but I realize that there are other people in society that are, it's almost, they have a duty to be nice and we do have places for them, but I would not do a good job in a compassion environment. And that's kind of where I'm coming from. <laughs> My objection was the fact that you're not recognizing your own beliefs aren't necessarily reality. They're not, they don't have to be true just because you believe them to be true. Well, then it's why not just a cultural thing and it's different because they're in a different culture well, then, or in a different place. It's literally not provable. It is not knowable. But then why wouldn't they be true? For, then why would they be true for me? That's a belief. When things are true for you, but not for somebody else, it's not actually right. true ipso facto. It is true just because you believe it to be true. Right, but that doesn't really have any bearing on it. If whether, well, like, it does. I have, to, you say, I, have to, I have to act with regard to the fact that reality exists. Yes, you do. But you also have to act with the acknowledgement that some of the things you believe to be true may not be. Yes, obviously. And right. Could be wrong. Right. So to say that it is definitely holding somebody back or stunting them in our culture for them to not move out, that's subjective. Right. But that's the a thing is, is I'm not acting with regard to truth. I'm acting with regard to what I know works for me. And so I can surmise what, what might work for others, but I might not know the context. So the cultural relativistic nonsense. But um, I might not know what is right in another culture, uh, but I know what works and has worked for me and I can advise based on what I know works. I'm not acting mm -hmm. from a place of truth because, well, there's no absolute truth, but that argument cancels itself out. No, there is absolute truth. No, no. I mean, like, I, mean, like I, could, I could argue that there's no absolute truth, but it doesn't matter. It wouldn't matter because I'm living in a realm of absolute truth. And so I have to act with regard to that. And I can't know it, obviously, but I can know what has worked so far. And a lot of us are pretty much working with that regardless. So with that, I'm kind of acting more as a, this does this. Mm -hmm. And so I can advise that. And I know that if a mother being something that is kind of actually absolute truth within the context of humanity, um, fight me <laughs> mother gives birth she no. is a mother that is absolutely true in all How cases dare you <laughs> so a mother will tend to pamper and if you stick to the mother too much you can end up with certain personality decisions that can detriment the the ability to act as a discreet actor within the society so yeah. that's kind of what i'm saying and I know what's worked in my culture and I'll be more forceful with someone else in my culture being like, I'll be like, they should know better. But if they're like coming from a brown thing, and I've got all the like brown, I mean like Indian. So I, everyone I talk to who's Indian just calls himself brown. <laughs> and so Minaj does that a lot too. <laughs> I always feel like I'm doing it wrong, but then they laugh when I say brown. I'm like, <laughs> I don't get it. But the, I'm losing my voice, <clears throat> but I, can know, I think I've said what I've said. <laughs> yeah. And what I was trying to point out though, is the pattern of thinking of, because I believe it, it is true. That type of thinking is the same pattern of thinking that we're objecting to from the other side when right. they disagree with us. Right. So in order to have a level playing field and an honest discussion with people, 
it's important that when we do that, we acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm sort of getting at. Right. And so, it's better to come at something, especially with if we bring it back to football, the data shows and then right. like we're from you're acting from a thing of truth. But if you say like, I don't like football and this is why I'm trying to cancel it. That's a totally different argument. Right. Or like and what's frustrating for me is that um, with a firearms debate is that the people on the other side of the firearms debate are not using data. <laughs> and so they're they're using um, ethos in the argument. Now, it's a valid way of arguing, especially if logos, pathos and ethos. Sorry, they're using pathos. No, and um, Sophia. No, this is uh, I'm, I'm referring to something specific within debate. So, oh, like a structure academically. Yeah. Huh. So logos is um, using you know argument and evidence, and uh, ethos is you're appealing to authority, which makes sense because like sometimes just it works makes sense to appeal to authority on certain topics, and pathos it's like you should support your logical argument with an appeal to emotion so that it makes it personal to the people listening. It makes sense to use an emotional argument sometimes. More compelling that way. Right. But if you only use an emotional argument saying, won't somebody please think of the children, guns are unsafe, no one you should own one. And then we say, statistics show that none of the legal gun owners in Canada have ever committed a crime, and that all the crimes committed were done with guns smuggled in or stolen. So but again, you, that, that argument also has holes in it that you're ignoring. It does. I'm, I'm, I'm making it. I'm making no, no, it. I know. But I'm not saying your specific argument this time. I'm saying every time that happens, there's always a hole in the argument mm -hmm. because the statistics. That's why we argue. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the important part of arguing is right. bringing forward all of the evidence from all sides and like rationally considering yeah, it all just, on an equal I wish playing field. The other side would bring evidence <laughs> but it's like finding a baseline though from which to start measuring because you usually don't start measuring from zero right there's going to be background noise statistical anomalies you're going to have like bayesian mm -hmm. dynamics and you know gaussian distributions and mm -hmm. all of this stuff is like there's a ton of math like a whole body of sciences out there dedicated just to um filtering out and cleaning data data like sanitizing data so when people do have these two arguments and they come out from both sides and one uses the appeal to the emotion, the reason that's a valid argument, even when it's irrational, is because we all have emotions. Mm -hmm. So that still applies to all of humanity. And it, it, it's not as useful as a contributor, a contributing factor towards regulation or something practical. It's not at all useful, practically speaking, but it's useful in the sense that it is um, it's it's a point of contention that needs to be dealt with in order to move forward. Yeah, well, let me it can't give an just example. Be ignored because let, it's let me give not. an example. You don't care about football, as a okay. I don't care about football, but I do. Okay, you do. <laughs> so, We're a Rams house. We'll, we'll use me. Uh, I don't care about football. I've been to football games. Um, I understand why people like it. I just don't like it. Like I completely understand why you would like it, but if I say uh, 50%, I'm probably getting, I'm just making up the statistic. This yeah, isn't real. Uh, 50% of, or 55% of football players get a concussion within every two years of playing football. And so, you know, you'd be like, cool, I don't care. And then I say something like, your son plays football. Oh, 
So then all of a sudden the statistic has more meaning because now you're making the statistics and so now you're paying attention to it more. So this is an example of kind of what you're talking about. You're bolstering a truth by making the truth have meaning to somebody by giving them an emotional attachment to that, to that uh, the, the, the statistic. But the other thing is like in the gun debate, uh, they have this one statistic that they like throwing around. There's 2 million, there's more people, there's more registered gun owners in Canada than there are registered hockey players. That's a neat little statistic. It doesn't mean anything. You're not going to go anywhere with that other than lots of people do. Uh, the thing, lots of people do thing. So it doesn't actually help. So you're using, you have this truth that comes out that doesn't, seems like it has a use, but it doesn't. It's just trivia. So mm. when you're actually making the arguments with regard to something like safety, you actually do have to connect it to somebody because people will have, we do act as emotional beings and we do have to filter it. And not all of us are trained like I am or have put effort into it like you have uh, to try and dissociate something and act with regard to something objectively. I've argued opposing points for the last 10 years because it was part of what I was doing. I didn't have to believe it to argue it. And I could even say as much in my thing, but it does take training to see the other side. And a lot of times when people are making arguments from safety, they don't try to see the other side. I understand why people are afraid of guns. I understand why people don't like um, the thing, football. Sorry, I think I'm running out of heads. I think my brain's running out of juice. But the, the, the fact of it is, is that I'm probably going to argue for the thing I want to do based on the fact that I want to keep doing it and I'm not hurting anybody and I don't see anybody hurting anybody. And it's, I understand it better than someone who's going to be dissociated from it. At the same time, I've got a bias towards that thing. But if someone comes in not knowing anything about it and tries and arguing from a position of like, uh, they have no bias towards it, or they have a bias that's from some kind of misunderstanding about it, then my bias will allow, will make me more invested in arguing. Um, and then it's up to me to provide an either a reasoned or an, uh, childish emotional response to that. So again, it comes down to the individual. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's sort of why I was really weighing heavily on the belief systems thing and the acknowledgement of belief systems, because that ties in directly towards those people who are approaching things with a bias that they're not acknowledging. Mm -hmm. So part of the discussion and teaching people how to have a discussion is to lead by example. And the type of example that you'd want to lead by would be to suggest that although it is valid to bring it up, the emotional component, and to use it as a point of to make something compelling to others, so that they more readily grasp what you're trying to articulate to them. Mm -hmm. But it's just as important that they acknowledge themselves that their, their position and their bias is motivated by an emotional component, and they're trying to make rational regulation changes based on an emotional component. That's right. part of solving the problem, is to have not just us acknowledge our belief systems that may be imperfect, but to encourage the other side to also acknowledge their own belief systems that may be imperfect. Not to point it out and point them in the face and laugh at them, but for the fact that that will help them ruminate better. Well, we'll we have this a better grasp and comprehension of both sides of the argument when they can also understand when they themselves 
are being um, are assuming to know or uh, to empathize, to use the word that you use, to assume to to empathize with somebody that they don't. Yeah, they will say that without acknowledging the fact that that's a belief system they hold rather than an actual truth. When I say empathize, I mean I, I'm meaning I can understand the feelings of the person that I'm talking to. I can understand where someone's coming from, and it takes no, effort. I, I know. To, no, no. And then sympathy means. I give a shit enough to do something about it. And sympathy, I kind of find, and I know you do, kind of find a bit. Um, I hate it. I yeah, absolutely it's, hate it. It's like giving me sympathy. It's like, thanks, jerk. I can do this on myself. Well, it's empathy means I get it. I don't have to care, but I get it. Uh, <laughs> oh, I know, but it's something we all do. We all assume we understand the other person. But like, mm-hmm. the reason we're not homeless and addicted to heroin is because we don't feel as compelled towards heroin as an, a heroin no. addict who's homeless. But if I like take the fact is we don't empathize with them even when we think we do. Well, I would argue that to some extent we can, because I'm not a one well, first. I'm not a postmodernist, and I think that human, I think that human experience isn't completely isolated individual to individual. Like we have, everyone considers uh, certain flavors. Uh, well, cilantro is like we all have there's two types of people that there's two experiences that people have with cilantro this is delicious and it tastes like soap and everyone on the bad side says it tastes like soap so they all have a similar experience to some extent within a thing now people can't taste i can imagine but the thing is, is that i have to sit down and actually work at thinking and a lot of these times when i say i can empathize it means it's because i've actually sat down thought about it for hours and put myself in a situation where I can empathize. Now, there's certain barriers to that. I can't really empathize with certain states of mind that aren't uh, sober because, well, I've like, if you're high on crack, I can't, I, 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 I like, I can't really empathize with that. I, that's one thing I can't get into, but you know, someone getting turned down for a job, like I, I know what that feels like, man. And we all empathize and then we can sit there and ask, I can empathize with that. Oh, you know what it feels like? Yeah. And he's like, and then we ask, do you want sympathy for that? And they're like, no, nah. I'd be like, okay, but I'll drink with you. <laughs> yeah. So and all but, I wanted to say is I yeah, think I that we believe that so, we empathize, but we don't, we actually don't. Right. We believe that we understand the other person who's been hurt and injured. Like I've, I've gone through what the Geneva Convention would consider torture, so I can empathize with a person who's been tortured. But if they were tortured and I was sick, that's not the same thing. Okay, counter argument, one that'll also bring us back to the topic, is that I think one thing that we can all actually empathize with is pain. Pain is pain for everybody, regardless. No. <laughs> it's totally different. Well, how uh, so? That, all... that should be another episode, though, I think. No, but I'm thinking like, the, the, the thing about safety is that you can either die or you can feel pain. And we all have the same reaction to pain, which is an aversion, unless you're, you know, wired stupid, like that Black Mirror episode or something. Masochist. And yeah, masochists or something, but that's not, that's a psychological thing. And so we've all experienced pain to some extent, and we all know emotional and physical pain how I react to it changes. So like if I stab myself in the arm, it's going to probably feel the same if you stab yourself in the arm, unless you're on some kind of painkiller. Body chemistry though. It's, it's just literally different for different people. 
Right, but it's a man still, and a woman experience pain differently. But it's still pain. Yeah, we so it's similar. We understand the idea of it. Right. We, I don't we, think... we can recognize it as soon as we see it. We know what it sounds like, what it looks like, what but we actually don't know that person's pain, even if it's exactly the same right. as ours. Literally, we don't know their pain. But we can understand that I think the, the difference between uh pain in one person and another is too small of a difference to really make a difference in this conversation. And so, because when it comes down to what we're talking about, safety, you want to, you want to keep people and avoid them from having something like pain, whether it be a small amount of pain or a large amount of pain. And I think um, when it becomes abstract, like something like we want to avoid, I don't know, something stupid like political pain, like, I don't know, uh, I need a safe space, a safe space because there's a Republican idiot coming to talk at my university. So I'm in emotional distress. It's just like, well, that wouldn't cause me emotional distress. So that's kind of dumb, but I can understand it would cause them emotional distress. But at the same time, it's like, uh, there's a guy coming to the university to put nails in people's shoulders. Maybe that my maybe we should keep that guy from coming so i'm but that to me I, i'm is worried why about people fly to safety the reason why people obsess and compulsively are drawn to safety is because of their experience of pain right and that's the part that we don't understand of other people is uh, specifically their experience of that exact same pain is the reason why they're so afraid of pain they flight to safety and right. that's the issue we're talking about is safety. Safety right. is everything to do with pain. I just don't understand the relativist perspective that you're, why you're so stuck on the relativism. Because if it's, to say that we understand is to assume that we know better. If you say, I understand, but I would do it differently. What you're saying is, I know better than you what the actual optimal but outcome depends should be. Depends on the thing, because sometimes you, like, sometimes individuals will know better. Like there are certain people, like if I'm in a hockey game and I go right and then they say, well, you should have gone left. And it's like, well, why, what do you know? It's like, I'm literally Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> like I should, like I can defer to some people's expertise. Yes, but times. not in all cases. And to well, a court, obviously is just it's, flat out wrong. Right. I, I just don't understand it because it's just so obvious. <laughs> it should be obvious, but it's not. But because like, if you don't do that, when you approach a, a problem or um, uh, somebody who's overly safety or overly anxious, you know what I mean? All the, the people that are looking for safe spaces and stuff like that, it's mm -hmm. because we're not validating how strongly they feel about petty circumstances that we find are petty and menial. Mm -hmm. It's because we're not acknowledging those, the severity of their pain from such a benign situation that they respond so aggressively. The reason there's any contention whatsoever in this discussion and debate over safety and over safe spaces and over being fragile and the snowflakes mm. and all of that, the whole reason is our inability to adequately sit down and validate their pain, their experience of it, not the actual thing that's hurting them, but their experience of the thing that's hurting them. Right. That's what's well, hurting. we can validate it, but that doesn't mean we have to do anything about it. Like, I understand that you are experiencing pain right now. And like, thank you, but I'm not going to do anything about it. No, but Bye. to say I empathize, but, 
and I'm saying this should be how the rule goes because I understand this better than you, that's yeah. not helping the debate. That doesn't help well, the discussion or convince them of anything. I'm not Telling them how they should feel about a situation oh, okay. doesn't change. I them. see where you're coming from. I don't care about convincing anybody about anything. I just want their. <laughs> I just don't want them to complain so much that they regulate the crap out of my life. <laughs> but part of that oh, wait, is my having a fair discussion, and part of having a fair discussion means you have to. You have to acknowledge that belief right. systems and all. And I do understand that they have their experience, but again, I don't care. <laughs> And so uh, the thing is, and the reason I say there's I no peaceful no, resolution to no, be had from that mentality, though. No, there is. Won't fix the problem. See, It'll fix your problem of them. Well, <laughs> see, that's that's true. But I don't. The thing is, is that I will go on the offensive when their uh, imposition of safety actually starts affecting me. Rightly so. I, I, right. And so when I say I don't care, I'm not saying. I'm saying I think you're wrong, which I'm rightly allowed to do, mm -hmm. and. I'm also saying, but I'm a walk away. I don't, I don't need to impose myself upon anybody else. I don't care enough to. If I cared, I would impose myself. But what I care about is when that the imposition from the other side starts doing what you know. Uh, you know, I really do find it distasteful from people who, I guess, are perceived to be from my side whatever that is. I don't know. I like to think I'm a centrist, but, um, are, you know, they, they say stuff like snowflake or libtard or, um, that's the worst. Libtard oh, is so that. ignorant. <laughs> it's just, I hate these things because they are actively caring and like neat. You're this, but when they, when it actually affects my life, then I start caring. And so I will, fight my side and trying to get my side out, which is what this is an exercise in. Like mm -hmm. I'm trying to explain why I find safety distasteful. And so this is me trying to find my side, but I'm not like, and I'll bring up and I'll try and bring up other perspectives. And I can say, I think that's stupid and I can claim alternative things, but mm -hmm. I understand that is their right to say, I don't care. <laughs> because that too. No, no, and that's what I'm saying. Is like that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Because I'm know, saying I'm I don't care. And then they come up and say, I don't care either. Because what I'm trying to do is have I'm trying to live in a society where the individual is trying to take care of themselves as much as possible because I don't see it as a safe I don't see it as a safe I see overly safe societies as something that's inherently unsafe for the individual and for the prosperity of humanity. Because I see, we've seen stuff that has worked. Freedom has a benefit. Diversity has a benefit. And when you legislate, and I guess this is finally I'm coming to it. Finally, I segued to it. Um, this dichotomy, which I don't even think is a good dichotomy, is this dichotomy of safety versus freedom. And I think this is probably the last point I want to get through because my brain's turning into a mushy you know, I thought we were wrapping up already. <laughs> well, uh, this will be short because... Yeah, yeah. I'm just... um, and I do want to um, stay out of the morass of relativity for a bit. Uh, but um, we often think of like safety as a trade-off for freedom. But that's why we have that debate, like I was saying earlier. We 
as a society should be arguing tooth and nail over every little thing about safety. Why? Because that's how we get a better idea of what's actually necessary. You know, it's like, oh, I can't believe people are arguing against this, this, uh, this legislation or this, uh, that legislation. It's like, no, we live in a society where it's necessary. It's not only fruitful, but it's necessary that people argue tooth and nail against every proposition that comes up. And a lot of times it's, we all sit around and be like, okay, we're going to build a new road here. And everyone's like, I don't think that's a good idea. Anybody else not think it's a good idea? No. Okay. We're going to build the road. But if it's something like a seatbelt, well, we lost that one. The libertarians lost that one. The people who were against imposition of government power lost that one. And rightly so. Seatbelts save lives. They do. I can't argue that. There's no way I can argue against that. And that's because we had that debate. But am I giving up freedom by wearing a seatbelt? Ultimately, no. Am I giving up freedom by um, being censored online? Yes. Well, it's not safe to say these things. It's not safe to uh, be to talk about this topic. It's not safe to um, discuss or say certain words online. Well, that's retarded. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> okay, since we're not getting demonetized, I. No, I'm just my, joking. I'm find just my Patreon. The word to be offensive. No, I know. For reason. I know. <laughs> uh, hopefully, our viewers know too. Chris will rock the boat just to see how much it rocks. Mm -hmm. um, it's a it test, um, a calibration test. Yeah. So, what happens is you start getting abstract ideas of safety that do actually take away from our freedom. We do need our freedom because if we don't have freedom, the safety doesn't really matter. Because once you take the freedom away, you're not an individual, and then it doesn't matter whether or not you're safe because you are a tool, <laughs> literally. Like you are a object of production or an object of, uh, you know, uh, well, I guess production's a big one because, or an object of racial ex exempt. You're a commodity. You're a tool. You, yeah, you are not you. You are, you know, number four three eight two one. So it doesn't really matter whether or not you're safe or not. Safety doesn't matter because. Well, you're not going to live past 35 anyways, because... Or even um, if you do, what life do you got? So we're leveraging, again, freedom. See our last episodes. And safety is a thing that, I guess, to bring it down, is to get away from all that censorship, to get away from it. Safety is something that we need to negotiate. So maybe I think censorship is another episode entirely. We have been Probably, kind of yeah. Putting we it meant off. to get to it. Sorry, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so freedom, not freedom, safety is something that I'm not against. I just find it to be in bad taste when it becomes the sole value. And when I see people use it as the ultimate value, I find it distasteful because the ultimate value is living a meaningful life. You know, you get people who say, and the best example of this was we went into a chiropractor and they say, what's the best thing in life? And I was like newly married and I was like, or newly engaged. And I was like thinking like things like, oh, love, companionship, you know, uh, stuff like that, meaning stuff. And they're like, that's right, your health. And I was like, I can have a wonderful life dying of cancer. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's 
nonsense you're trying to sell me snake oil and they were telling me this because they wanted me to be scared because they wanted to sell me unnecessary chiropractic services that i didn't need and so that's what it boiled down to and, and so, churches do this too like they recruit yeah. people by making them scared of hell and god's wrath right schools do it too by making you afraid that you'll never get a job and you'll be broke your entire life if you don't go to university like they just assume they, they make they embed these ideas into kids that if you don't go to school and get an education and pay us first, you can't get a job later. And mm -hmm. people believe this like swaths of students my age went their entire lives believing they couldn't earn a living without going to university first. Right. Just because of the, the area and the environment they grew up in. And they all believe sincerely that these things are just factual that they're ipso facto by the nature of reality and logic itself and by the cosmos and the nature of physics, they are just true the just because they are. believe them to be true. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest risk that we run with safety is the way we engage in the discussions about them. And that's sort of why I want to, um, as much as I fall victim to this too, I use fragility and snowflake and cause it really irritates me. And when my blood boils, I just get angry. Right. <laughs> but I'm trying to approach with a compassionate point of view and trying to understand the ridiculousness of other people's irrationalities in order to, for me to better or more easily or more effectively fulfill my goals. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like get more um, bees with honey or whatever. Yeah, uh, you can teach kids better when they're not being whipped, when they're actually happy and playing games, like all these types of things about our biology tell us that we should be approaching people nicely <laughs> yeah. Even about stupid inane things that affect me negatively or impact my quality of life negatively because of their insecurity and their fear. Even those things in order to be discussed like at all, it needs to be done very um, surgically. We can't just go about it and and be ourselves and present our own expressions and just be conscious of I'm an individual. I can talk and say how I want, because that type of approach to a really sensitive person will never achieve anyone's goals. No, Nobody will ever be satisfied in that type of an environment. So right. my only emphasis might be in this case that I fully agree with like where you're coming from, obviously, because I actually hold those beliefs too. I think it's insane how, how people are overly coddled and are scared of their own shadows as adults. I think it's like borderline shameful that like grown ass people can't look after their own laundry and cook for themselves by oh, like 30 because they lived at home too long. Like I fully get it because I agree with it, but the presentation of it, I think needs to change. Like we need to adjust our approach to the people we disagree with in order to be able to have a conversation that we're not having yet right now it's just protesters yelling at protesters yeah. and they're just blocking people from speaking at universities and then running up enrollments and then having speakers that you know they agree with and they're flooding the halls well, with everyone those. gets more siloed and they're not able to talk to the other side because everyone's yeah. becoming it gets well, worse one, Problem one side talks about safety the, the other one talks about like maximum uh maximum throw them out of the nest it's yeah. just like well now to some extent yeah you want to throw a kid in the pool swim it's like you're not in danger there's three lifeguards yeah <laughs> and i literally have a rope that you didn't even notice and so it's there now but to me that's the important part is like everybody knows that we have different sides now we need to be able to start talking to each other i, mm -hmm. I think that to me is the crux of this whole episode um we probably have different points of view yeah. on that but 
I just wanted to point that out as my last well, comment. And it's kind of the thing. You want you want me to show you how to be unsafe. Let's go to the range. Well, what about me? What do you like? Well, let's go and they'll probably take me to a soup kitchen or something. This is why I'm compassionate towards the lower classes. And I'm like, I get that. I was there. But um, like that used to be me. But um, we have a lot to teach each other and we're just fighting and it's more unsafe. And I think that and that's where most addiction comes from. Like the opioid crisis was people fleeing from pain. So it's very, very real. And like it, it's tactile for, for a lot of addicts that yeah. rush away from pain or suicidal people that rush away from pain. Um, anxious people that struggle with anxiety or depression or mental well, illness. See, a like, lot of it so is much. an aversion to pain. There's and so much anxiety is, in the world and they think it's like, oh, my anxiety is part of my chemistry. It's like, yeah, but it's not like you can, you can overcome it. I believe in you. <laughs> like, but part of it is cause. You can cause anxiety in a kid just by being scared all the time. Like mm -hmm. you can cause anxiety in oh, your dog yeah. just by freaking out every 10 seconds. Your dog yeah. will have no idea what's going on. What's well, when in a crowd, if someone starts, well, it's if there's um, like you get, uh, you know, a plane just stalls and it happens every once in a while and the pilots will be calm it's like they're not afraid because well they're afraid of course they're everyone's afraid all the time everyone has anxiety all the time but the pilots are trained and they've trained themselves to be like that's uh just a little turbulence we will be fine in 10 seconds once the engines start right up again we are for, no for people throwing their lives away because of a drug though it's that intense it's yes not, it's not the same as a regular person's anxiety no. that just and helps trying, them get through trying to convince someone that it's actually safer to go through the excruciating pain of withdrawal or to mm -hmm. pick up that darn phone and actually call somebody because phone anxiety i remember i had massive anxiety with emails but i couldn't stop using them and i had anxiety over emails for a ton of time and i think i've explained why i had a bad job they were just sending me bad news every once in a while it was like it was like a pavlov thing where i just every email i would get would be bad news <laughs> and so i just hated bing it's like <laughs> every day and so what happened was i just dealt with it and i got over it eventually but i let, was able to just kind of deal with it but at the same time like it's up to that's us as sort an individual of like good for me i was able to do something no, i was born i was but able at the same do. time though, like <laughs> some people are have stuff that's too bad that they can't get over and we need to recognize when that's a thing yeah. when they've been when they can't take the hard path out and we need someone to come in and be like, yo, we're going to work on this um, because that's, we need those people. We need those people who are empathetic, who are compassionate, who care about the, um, I don't even want to say safety because safety is an interaction with um, the chaotic side. And I don't even think we're talking about safety here because safety is you going up against taking a risk there's an element of risk, but if someone's going to help someone compassionately, that's a whole new ball game. That's someone dealing with the, someone negatively interacting with a, uh, a risky situation. They, 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 they uh, for some reason or another, there was a failure and now they need help and they need help. And that compassion isn't a safety issue. The compassion is a compassion thing. It, they are there in case we fall and those types of people are in case the my calculation 
doesn't pan out. Because and it can't. It can't catch everybody. Nothing. No, and I'm not, you're not even getting in your own life. You're not, not all, if you expect all of your risky calculations to pan out in life. Yeah, but you're not well, taking a risk. It's like, <laughs> oh man, that was a calculated risk, but damn it, I bet at math. <laughs> yeah, it, it's sort of what I was bringing up was sort of the Gabor Mate approach. So if anybody wants to look more into it, then like that would be where to get that it. one. Explain it. <laughs> another episode it's okay I'm tired <laughs> okay yeah i'm also tired so um take risks i guess i don't know i hate these advice sessions at the end where i feel like i'm like i know what i'm talking about blah 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 i don't know why we just spent two hours not knowing what the heck we're talking about but i guess if i had to give advice based on what i've experienced in my life and what works take the risk see what happens um someone tells you what to be do interesting try not to be too belligerent when people tell you what to do i am definitely predisposed to be like someone will be like hey you should do this and i'm doesn't matter what they say I'll, yeah i'll be like you should go you know but swim cool, in, eh? go swim in some rapids <laughs> i'm definitely predisposed to that um but that's me and everyone needs to have self-knowledge about themselves so take risk for what it is and so we also understand now why I, it's like safety, why I do that. <laughs> so I'm running out of brain. Chris is running out of brain. We're all running out of brain. All right, thanks for Have tuning fun, in. Guys. You've been listening to myself, Christopher Driver, and my delightful co-host, Jordan Roy. Oh, this is Frivolous Gravitas. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.